You know, you look at the fruits of the Spirit, like love, peace, joy. You know, those are easy things to get over if someone isn't loving to me or someone isn't very peaceful, if they're not very joyful. You know, I can forgive, I understand that if, if you have an off day. But if someone's unfaithful, that can, t- that, that, that can be kind of hard to, to get over. And so I acknowledge up front, this might be a, sort of a painful fruit of the Spirit, kind of like rip, you know, opening up a Band-Aid or, or opening up an old wound. But I, my prayer is, as we go through this fruit today, you're going to see something uh, very pleasant come to light. Um, we're going to get a clear look at God's faithfulness and, and what it means when I can enjoy His kind of faithfulness in me. Um, to, to start off, um, first of all, in your uh, notes today or in your worship folder, you have this little sheet of paper called Message Notes. You can ignore the side that says Growth Groups. You can do those later. And that might be of use to you as we go through today's message. You notice on the top of that, there's a blank. It's kind of filled in already. I did that on purpose. I want you to write a name in there with your imaginary pen. I'll challenge you first of all with this. Write the name of someone who is the definition of faithfulness. Can't use Jesus. Can't use God. Someone in your life or someone from the world, who is the definition of faithfulness? Is anyone bold enough to share their answer? (laughs) Kids always raise their hands. Parents are always quick to put them down. Yeah. Wife. Shout out. (laughs) Wife. Any other examples? Okay, who picks spouse? Be honest. Okay. Anyone else? <laughs> I can feel the love already. Yes. Mom. Mom. Yes. Dad. Dad. Okay. Have you exhausted all of them? Is it kind of hard to think of someone to put in that blank? The thing about faithfulness is it's not something that you can just have overnight, right? It's something that must go on for a series, for, for, for a lot of time, for months, for years. That's why we hear answers like spouse or mom or dad. It takes a while to earn someone's faithfulness or to be faithful yourself. What about this? Use that same blank. I made it big enough for two names, thankfully. Write the name of someone who is unfaithful. Imaginary pen only. Someone either in your life, someone in the world who is the definition of unfaithfulness. Don't share. That's a little easier to fill in, right? You can think of all sorts of examples of people who have been unfaithful because all it takes is one moment. And, and I guess the most immediate thing I came up, I'm sure there's other you know, pop stars and stuff out there, I don't follow them too much, but one of the you know, not too distant history examples is with um, a certain golfer. You know, that was, that was big news. You know, people heard about what he did. He had all this money. He had a beautiful wife, everything you could dream for. Why would he be unfaithful? And in just a single day, he lost his marriage. He lost his endorsements. He lost a lot. Faithfulness takes time. Unfaithfulness just takes a moment. Let's get to the heart of it. What is faithfulness? If I, if I am a faithful person, it means that I can have your trust and you have no doubt about it. Or for our first fill-in, let's get some official verbiage down. To be faithful is to guarantee someone's trust. 
that if they're going to put it in me, they have no doubt who I am or what I'm going to do. I am completely predictable. Examples. Jesus in the gospel message that we just read a little bit ago from, from the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus gave an excellent example of what it looks like to be faithful. You know, when, when you say something, you don't have to, that, that maybe something that's a little bit unbelievable, you don't have to tell the person, oh, I swear to God it's true. You don't have to say that if you're faithful. All you have to say is, it's true. And they believe it because it's coming from you. Uh, if this this uh, quality of faithfulness, it's to guarantee someone's trust. And, you, okay, you, you might say, well, that's not too uncommon in this world. Anyone understands faithfulness is, is good leverage that we can have in, in marriage or in the business. But here's what, here's what makes the, the fruit of the Spirit different. His faithfulness extends to those who don't deserve it. Uh, it's, it's not a fruit that you're going to see out there too often. To be faithful to someone who doesn't deserve it, that's, that's what makes this fruit different from any other. And, and we're going to see some examples here of, of what, you know, what that looks like. Um, maybe as we flesh out this definition for faithfulness, you're thinking of other names you could put in that blank with your imaginary pen, right? And you're wishing maybe, I hope that blank was a little bit bigger and more blank. <laughs> um, I'm going to put some more names on, on the screen in just a second. As I put them up there, I want you to look at them carefully. And I want you to, to think, which ones do you recognize? Shamua, Shaphat, Igal, Nabi, Palti, Gadael, Joshua, Guel, Gadi, Amael, Sether, Caleb. Which ones do you recognize? I heard a Caleb. And a Nabi? Who knows Nabi? No. Caleb, Joshua, two names that you recognize up on that list. Um, first of all, Bible history, do you know who these 12 guys were? First hint, they lived 3,500 years ago. Second hint, they all worked together. Some of you know. They were spies, yeah. They, they worked together. Um, what, what happened was God had just taken the Israelites, some 2 million people, out of Egypt and now they were looking towards this new land that God was going to give them. And before they began the military campaign, they said, let's send some spies to check it out. So you see these 12 names? These were the representatives of, tw of 2 million people. These were the leaders, those who were respected, those who were identified as the most faithful, the most truthful that they could depend on. And you know why 10 names are unrecognizable today? Because we don't want to name our kids after people who are unfaithful. Next slide. Yeah, sorry, leave it there. Um, those 10 names crossed out were the 10 that said, no, we can't do it. We can't take this new land. They did not trust God. They did not have faith in God. And therefore, as far as being a leader goes, they were unfaithful. And you know what that meant for these 10 guys whose names were crossed off? That meant they were stopped short. They did not get to enter this new land that God had promised them. Um, because of what they did, because of their unfaithfulness, they got stopped short. It was only Joshua and Caleb who were the exception. Second fill-in for the day. Unfaithfulness stops people short. 
stops people short of whatever goal they were trying to attain. You know, if it's marriage, then it's till death do us part. Unfaithfulness can mess that up. If it's in a career, it's this is where I want to retire. Unfaithfulness can mess that up. You know, unfaithfulness stops people short. Does anybody want to be stopped short? Do you wake up in the morning saying, I wish I was fired from my job and had nothing to do? <laughs> That's a dangerous question for teenagers. But faithful, unfaithfulness can, can stop people short of what they are hoping to do, what they, what they are trying to do. And I think the important thing is when we look at cases in the public, you know, like that golfer who messed up, you know, what was up with his behavior? What was up with his nine iron, the one that his wife had when she was chasing him? What, why do, you know, maybe part of us is so engrossed by these things because it's a little bit of juicy gossip, but maybe it's, it's something a little bit deeper also, where we recognize... I want to learn from this. I don't want to be unfaithful. I don't want to be stopped short. And so I'm going to, to, to use these examples as, as a learning experience. And the Bible is chock full of them. Um, in just a second, we're going to open up to, to uh, 1 Corinthians 10. And it says, uh, We are the ones on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. We have a whole stack of case studies to look at. All sorts of stories and examples that we can learn from. And uh, as, we, as we go forward, the first case study I want to look at is the case study of the wanderers in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Um, this is what the first uh, phrase says. It says, these things happened to them. What's your question? What things? And who? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is kind of a disgusting chapter. It's, it's very graphic. So, so whatever you do, don't go home today and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <laughs> Reverse psychology. <laughs> the people it's talking about are the people who listen to the 10 leaders. And, and they said, you're right, we're not going to enter. We're, we're, we're done. We're not going to make it. Um, the 2 million people in Israel listened to those 10 leaders. And so as they spent their time looking at the promised land but not entering it, they did a lot of disgusting stuff, which 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us of. Uh, you look in there, in verse 6, it gets, starts to give some examples. Um, verse 7, it says, Don't be idolaters as some of them were. You know, it says, The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. In today's terms, these people visited and participated in demon worship, devil worship. They were there at the services. They were participating. They were having fun. Not your idea of faithfulness. Talks about the people also, it goes on. Uh, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. And this wasn't just a, hey, come to my tent real quick thing. This was out in the open, a celebration of immorality. Disgusting. Not exactly what God asked them to do. They were not dependable. They were not faithful. 1 Corinthians 10 goes on. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. You know, we have all these case studies that have been building up about these wanderers in the desert. So what's your take on it? That was a long time ago, right? We're a lot stronger, we're smarter than they are. We wouldn't do something that foolish. 
I'd never go to a demon worship service and, and participate. doesn't apply to me. All right, let's move on then. Second case study. One that we mentioned already in our first reading today. It's the case study of the king. Let's go ahead and put the next one up here. Second Kings chapter 21, talking about King Manasseh. We, we mentioned some of the things he did. He was evil. He did detestable practices. As, as, as we read through his list of things in 2 Kings 21, what was the one that struck you the worst? Or the, the best? Worst? Sacrifice his own son. Yeah, they burned up his son to, in honor of an idol. Could you imagine doing that? He did. What else? Could you imagine setting up an altar right here in, in a sanctuary and, and honoring it to some idol, some false god, some demon? Manasseh did. Not just in the temple, but around it too. He set up all these altars to, to honor false gods and idols and demons. And Manasseh was, was a pretty bad guy. And so you know what God did with Manasseh? This isn't in your uh, sermon notes, but if you, if you want to reference it, another chapter you should not read is 2 Chronicles chapter 33. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria. You know what they did? They took Manasseh prisoner. They put a hook in his nose. They bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. You know, that, that hook in the nose, it was both humiliating and painful and practical. They'd put a chain through it and lead you around. You know, should, should God had, have left Manasseh off the hook? He didn't. Manasseh was a very unfaithful king. And so, well, well, we wouldn't do that today though, right? <laughs> I'm not going to put an altar here. I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice my son in a fire. Well, let's move on then. Case study number three, me, you. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, you know, he, was, he was looking at all this history, he's looking at all these case studies of people in the past, and his conclusion was not, oh well, they were foolish. His conclusion was, this is my warning. This is something that I need to take very careful notice of. As we flip back to 1 Corinthians 10, my Bible's getting a workout today. This is the conclusion Paul came to, very rele relevant for us today. He says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Um, if, if, I, if I dismiss all of these warnings in the Bible and say, well, I'm stronger than they were, I'm, I'm better than they were, I'm more faithful than they were, that means I'm in trouble. <clears throat> That means I'm on a path to end up exactly like they were. Or to fill it in succinctly for our next fill-in. If I think I'm immune, I'm in trouble. Uh, this is something that, that God's very, very specific about. Um, that the second I think <laughs> that nothing bad's going to happen to me, that I can be faithful on my own power or my own strength, that's maybe a sign that I've already become unfaithful. And as you look at all these different, uh, you know, um, case studies, we, we recognize that uh, there were things that came up that people weren't expecting. 
They were ambushes that, that took some people by surprise. And as you acknowledge that you are not immune to unfaithfulness, you're not immune to following away, um, there's going to be some, some diligence that has to be done then. You look at the path in front of you and you recognize some of the ambushes. By ambush, I simply mean something that you recognize is a weakness that can get you. What are some common ambushes? Whether we're talking about physical attraction for men or emotional attraction for women, isn't that a big ambush that might be waiting for, for someone? And finally, as we talk about these ambushes, maybe you know, set the stage a little bit. With everyone, there's a risk. If you've gotten life insurance or health insurance, you know that they, they, they very carefully weigh your risk based on your, your activities, your age, and, and, and all these other things. And you know, maybe you're preferred, maybe you're super preferred, but it's all a measuring of, of risk. Well, as far as your attraction to other people goes, what's your risk? Is there someone in your daily life or in your weekly life with whom you have a strong attraction to? That's a risk. Do you put yourself in situations where you are alone with this person? That is a risk. Do you not have someone whom you can talk to this about, a friend? That's a risk. Do you think that you have the power by yourself to hold up under it? If so, that is a risk. And, you know, depending on what your weaknesses are, maybe it's time to do some risk assessment in your life to make sure that when this ambush hits you, you aren't set up for failure. Let's look at another ambush that might be waiting for you. You want to think of what it is? Read my mind. First service came up with it, so they're obviously smarter than you. No. <laughs> Common sense. Money. The ambush of money. Reminds me of a story I heard. You kind of have to follow the details so that you can get, get it at the end. Um, but there was a story of three retired guys sitting on the beach. <laughs> because that's all that retired guys do, right? You sit on the beach all day long. They were telling their stories about how, you know, what they did. First guy says, I owned a lumber yard up north. But with gas prices, oil prices, and, you know, with some competition, I was being run out of business. I was about to declare bankruptcy. But then, you know, a fire swept through my warehouse, destroyed everything. So I took the insurance money. Here I am. Second guy said, yeah, something similar happened to me. I had an electronics company out on the West Coast. And, you know, same thing. Competition was just killing us. I was getting ready to declare bankruptcy. Then a pipe burst in, in, our, in our facility. Everything was flooded. All the equipment destroyed. So I took the insurance money and got out. Third guy said, yeah, I had a clothing manufacturing place down in the Southeast. And same thing, you know. China's, you know, their, their cheap labor, it was just undercutting us every step of the way. I was about to, to fold when a hurricane came through and just destroyed everything. And the first guy and the second guy looked at him and they said, how do you make a hurricane? <laughs> you know, how many steps is it towards unfaithfulness with money? Is it a little squander, or a little, you know, spilled ink on the income tax forms? Is it a little bit too much in in uh, asking for reimbursements? Is it overusing your company credit? You know, at what line would you say, I've reached the point of unfaithfulness? Well, again, do some risk management. Do some risk analysis. 
How much money do I have access to? Who's holding me accountable? Will I remain faithful? Um, the third ambush you might want to watch out for, it's just kind of a general fill in the blank. I'll just say it's unhealthy attraction towards hobby, unhealthy attraction towards work. And to illustrate, you can look at a number of Christian missionaries who have gone out um, throughout the years. And, you know, they go to Africa, they go to these cool places, they bring thousands to Jesus preaching the gospel, only to have their own child or their own son uh, turn away from Christ and be quite public about it. You know, it's, it's easy for us to invest in what we like to do or invest in work, but not if it means sacrificing our children. Oh boy, that, that last line, it, it kind of reminded you of something, didn't it? I don't want to sacrifice my son. I don't sacrifice my son. I'm not evil. I'm not wicked like these people were. Yeah, maybe these ambushes are waiting for me, but, 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 but. <laughs> the moment I think I'm immune, I'm in trouble. <coughs> Besides these ambushes, there's one other thing I want you to look out for, and that is the dead duck. Let me explain. There's a story of this a boy named Johnny who went to his grandmother's house at the farm. And so they gave him probably the best, boy you can, best gift you could give to a boy, a slingshot. They said, go out in the forest, have some fun. So he did. He went out there. He's trying to shoot stuff. He had horrible aim, though. He, he couldn't hit a thing. And so he got tired of it kind of quickly came back to the farmhouse, and off to the side, he saw a duck. It was his grandmother's duck, one that she treated like a pet. And just out of instinct, out of whatever, he took the slingshot, brought it back, let it go, hit the duck right in the head, killed it. And you can see this wave of guilt and terror come over his face. So immediately, he grabs this dead duck, puts it in the wood pile, puts stuff on top of it, and just as he's finishing up, making sure everything's back the way it was, he looks up and there is his sister, Sally, staring at him. She had seen the whole thing, but she doesn't say a word. That night at supper, uh, they were cleaning up and, and, and Grandma said, all right, it's game night, we're going to go up in the living room and have some fun, um, except for me and Sally, we're going to stay in the kitchen and clean. Sally says, uh, actually, Johnny said he'd like to help clean up today. Isn't that right, Johnny? So he did, yeah. The same thing the next morning. They're going to have a fun day at the lake. Oh, me and Sally are going to stay and clean up a little bit. Sally said, uh-uh. Johnny said he wants to help clean up today. <laughs> this went on for a few days, and finally Johnny, he couldn't take it anymore. He came to his grandma full of tears. He let out the entire story from beginning to end. And you know what his grandma did? <clears throat> she said, I know what you did. I was standing at the window when, when all that stuff happened. I saw you pull the slingshot. I saw you hit the duck. I saw you bury him in the woodpile. But you know what, Johnny? Because I love you more than that duck, I decided to forgive you. I was just waiting to see how long you'd let yourself be a slave of your sister. <laughs> What's your duck? The thing that you've hidden away because you're afraid that if, if it gets out, it's, it's going to be bad. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's, if it's your sister, Sally, if it's your brother, or if it's just your conscience that's holding this thing over you, making you a slave to it. But maybe it's time to dig that duck out and get rid of it. 
Let's go back to Manasseh real quick. We, we had talked about how wicked he was. You know, how he had that, that um, ring through his nose, how he was put in bronze shackles. You, you know what happened to him? Once he became a prisoner, he decided it was time to go to the woodpile and get out his duck. Actually, he had a whole, probably had a whole flock of ducks, or whatever they're called. But he decided it was time to come clean. So he prayed to God. He acknowledged what he had done. And when he came clean to God, do you know what God did to that son sacrificer? He forgave him. Not like Sally forgave her brother, you know, holding it over him as, as, as leverage and as guilt, but he freely, completely forgave Manasseh. And he even brought him back to his kingdom to continue to reign as a king. Now, now, before you get too upset that God would forgive a son sacrificer, let's, let's take a peek at your woodpile. See what's in there. I haven't sacrificed my sons, but I, maybe I have placed them on too low of a priority. I haven't stolen money from a bank, but maybe I have squandered off a little bit here and there. I haven't been unfaithful to my spouse, or I haven't you know, cheated my friends at school or been unfaithful to them, but things I've thought and the things I've said would suggest otherwise. You know, we all have these ducks in our wood piles. And I want to make, thing one, make one thing very clear, and it's this. No matter how much of a slave you are, you're not going to bring that duck back to life. And no matter, no matter how much guilt you put yourself through, it's not going to undo what you did. The only thing you can do is come straight with God and say, the thing that I have done, what I did, it was wrong, I was horrible. And you tell him your whole story. And you maybe even do what the prodigal son did. You work in this little thing where you say, I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to do everything that I can. But before you get a chance to do that, God says, I know what you did. I was standing there at the window. I, I know it all. I was just wondering how long you were going to let yourself be enslaved by it. The thing is, when we, when we repent, and this is kind of tying up the entire series here, when, when, we, when we repent of our unfaithfulness or our lack of love or our lack of patience, you know, go, go all the way down the list, when, when we repent of that, we're saying, God, here's my duck. It's dead. I messed it up. Or, God, here's my fruit. It's spoiled. It's rotten. There's, there's nothing good coming from it. He says, I know. I already took it away. When you look at the, when you look at, at the cross, you see the extent to which God loves son sacrificers. He sacrificed his own son out of love for you. And that's where we see our guilt taken away and his love poured out. Let's go ahead with our fourth fill-in. God invests to make me faithful. There on the cross is one who, who has two things at the same time. You know, you go back to your blank on the top of your sheet, you know, write someone who's faithful, Jesus, completely faithful to God and to everyone else all the time. You write in somebody who is unfaithful, Jesus when he took your place on the cross. Took it all away so that he could give you what you didn't have, and that is something that you can't express with words. 
it's this permanent freedom from slavery. It's, it's this freedom to, to find the, the kinds of fruits that God brings to life in our hearts. And, and maybe, you know, your next step from this point on is you think about that duck you've been hiding. And you think about the things it's been costing you, whether it's just guilt or maybe somebody's holding it over you. Think about that duck this week and take it out. Along with all the, all the other bad fruit that you accumulate on a daily basis, take it all out. For, forget hiding it. That's not the way to do it. Repent of it. Let God take care of it. Let God take it away. Let him pin it to the cross. Let him put it to death. Let him leave it in that tomb that Jesus came back to life out of. And in his place, he shows you a genuine kind of faithfulness, even to those who don't deserve it. And you see in him, in your Savior, a guaranteed trust that no matter what ambush waits for you, and no matter what enemy tries to enslave you, God is faithful. Let's, let's close off with our last uh, verse here. Uh, th- two things God does to invest in you. He simply says, verse 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. In other words, he puts people around you who know what it's like. Use them. They are your strength. They are your partners. They are your accountability. Next part, God is faithful. He's not someone who's going to let you down. He's dependable so much so that when you are tempted, he'll make sure that you can bear it. He'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know, the the whole point that we want to get across is this. I want to finish strong. I don't want unfaithfulness. I don't want any kind of sin. I don't want any temptation to get me stuck. And my anchor, my hope is this, that God is faithful. No matter what temptation, no matter what enemy, no matter what duck has been plaguing me, turn to him. And he will bring his fruit to bear in your life. Let's pray.